then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Excellent day for an exorcism. Oh, Kill you all! You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Bring for your life. <laughs> Into a new world of parts and monsters. Hello, boils and ghouls. My name is Robert, and with me is... Anthea. And we welcome you to Pods and Monsters. Welcome. Well, come in. (laughs) (laughs) On tonight's episode, we are going... Today. Yeah, but this is a monster podcast. People listen to this at night. Do you think so? while, While they're in bed and they have a candle lit setting and it's raining outside, a nice stormy night. Okay. So tonight, (laughs) gather closely with your loved one as we discuss the first ever mainstream werewolf film, and that is Werewolf of London. You brought this on me that night in Tibet. Sorry, I can't share this with you. Really? It's the first werewolf movie? The fact usually says first mainstream werewolf movie, which makes me think maybe there was a foreign film that involved werewolves or a Mm, short or something. But this is the first mainstream American werewolf movie, uh, which came six years before The Wolfman. So what did you know going in about Werewolf of London? Oh, absolutely nothing. Did you recognize his look or anything? I remember his look from a book that you have Uh uh-huh and that's about it as we're recording this podcast i have an action figure of him right here what he's on that shelf right there oh (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) learn something new about where you live every day so let's hear uh what you thought about this movie and take us through it a movie that you literally knew nothing about I, i well i mean it was a werewolf and i assumed he was in london (laughs) <laughs> That's about it. Or of London. <gasps> An English werewolf somewhere. Oh, cup of tea, cup of tea, how woo! <laughs> Is that in the movie? No, that's just a British guy having a cup of tea and turning into a how woo! <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so this movie opens with uh, the little biplane and the Universal Picture logo. Keep this logo in mind because it will come back in a real <laughs> weird way. Yeah. From here, we have some pretty great dramatic music over the credits. I didn't really take any notes on the credits. I didn't know what to look for. I did see, though, that there's like a note of like a noiseless electric recording equipment or something yeah i think that's on a few movies of that time some sort of technology they used uh to do the sound recordings yeah this movie opens in tibet and we have some gentlemen who are arguing in tibetan (laughs) i'm not too sure what the native language is there tibetan tibetan (laughs) i don't know (laughs) um and uh they end up going to a man in a tent and he is white he's not of the same race as these other gentlemen and there's also a little bit of uh translation well i think they go from english to speaking in tibet or whatever the language is called okay and reading up on this film some of the words were cantonese okay and lots of it was just gibberish oh really Mm -hmm. okay basically we find out that most of these people will not go to a certain place they won't go to 
over there, which is where the gentlemen in the tent want to go. And this gentleman that we meet, his name is Wilfred Glendon. He then starts talking to another gentleman in English. I'm not too sure who this is. Eh, just his uh, little assistant, I guess. Expedition it's, it's, it's partner. Not the, yeah, it's not the assistant that's later in no. the movie. But yeah, I don't know just what Just a friend, a colleague. I want to mention real quick, by the way, with this scene, this was filmed on location at the Vasquez Rocks, which is most famous for Star Trek. Yeah, it looked very familiar. But it is a great location. No, it really is. Uh, it's a really great scene where you just kind of get all of the rock formation against the moonlight, and it looks great. So while these men are talking, another gentleman comes up and over this ridge, and he's on a camel, and this scares off the locals. He makes a comment once he comes upon Wilfred and his companion that they say to him that he's the first white man that they've seen in months, Mm -hmm. and he says that they are the first white men that he's seen in years. He's also a priest, Yeah, he uh, blesses them as he appears. Uh, They end up having a conversation that they're looking for this flower. Mm -hmm. And it's a very specific flower that is held in a ridge or in a little valley. And the priest ends up commenting that that valley is full of demons and that they pretty much is a little, gives them a little bit of warning. There are some things it is better not to bother with. Oh, the other guy's name is Hugh. Hugh? Hugh. Is it Hugh Beaumont? Hugh Beaumont. <laughs> so the flower takes life from the moon is what we end up finding out so it just pretty much blooms in the moonlight and the priest has never known of anyone who's gone into this valley and returned so it's pretty much like a one-way situation is what what he's telling them well he's telling them that it's very dangerous and, and he calls them foolish mm-hmm. so these men go off by themselves. They go on search for this flower. This is their whole point of taking this expedition. Yeah, and they're, and Hugh is kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't go to this. Maybe we should turn back. And Wilfred pretty much gives that context to their journey and says that they've been looking for this flower for six months. So as they're getting closer to this valley, you hear howling. And Hugh's having trouble moving. It feels like he's having a dream. Well, he equates it to when you have those moments in dreams, when it feels like you are walking, but your feet are stuck and you can't move. Yes. Uh, Similar to what they recreate in A Nightmare on Elm Street, when Nancy is going up the stairs and the stairs turn into mush and she can't get out of the Mm -hmm. steps. That's kind of giving a visual of that type of dream. Yeah. So he's experiencing that. I do like their acting of trying of miming yeah that they're doing mimicking just their body the way the way he's kind of trudging up and then um shortly after wilfred he feels like something's trying to block him so he can only move so far yeah well he says like something pushes him and he's like pushed up against the rock and then he is kind of like pushing through this force keeping him back which i think is a very good touch to show that this valley is haunted and there's Mm -hmm. all these spirits but Mm -hmm. it's kind of out of the blue and not even mentioned again after this scene no and it is a little bit of overacting with uh, the reactions but i feel like it's very appropriate yeah i'm mad at it so from here he spots the flower and at the same time he's being stalked by a creature and you see the shadow kind of move across and wilfred spots it the creature kind of peeks over and looks at him and then attacks him. Mm-hmm. And in the course of this attack, Glendon Wilford. Let's call him Glendon. I like Glendon? That. Okay. Yeah. Glendon gets bit. At the same time, he also stabs this hairy creature. Yeah. So, it whines and runs away. Yes. But uh, not before Glendon gets bit right on the arm. Yes. But it's a really weird bite. I it looks say more like a scratch. Yeah, I agree. It's way more of a scratch than a bite situation. But they show a close-up of it taking a good bite. Mm-hmm. He is able to retrieve the flower. And then there's a really great dissolve of his hand holding the flower. And then it dissolves into his hand holding the flower in his laboratory. I did say that this is so far one of the most boring laboratories we've seen. <laughs> but the then laboratory. it's 
held in such a great place. It's yes. in a greenhouse botanical garden in his home. Yeah, that the whole conservatory is great. But yeah, I will admit that his laboratory, you know, needs a little bit more. But remember, he's a botanist. So yes, he's not yes. bringing dead bodies to life or anything. No, but I mean, you could still have more beakers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more of those electrical machines and gadgets. But you, you know whose laboratory it sort of reminds me of now hmm. thinking about it now? It kind of reminds me of the laboratory in the original version of The Fly. I just thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I put down that, is he mimicking moonlight? And um, yes, he is. He's observing this flower and he's trying to get it to bloom with this fake moonlight. Yeah. Meanwhile, an alarm goes off and apparently Glendon is living in the 2000s because he's got like a security video situation. So when someone tries to get close to his lab, opens the door to like the little foyer before he gets to his lab, he has an alarm that goes off and then he has a little video that pops on that lets him know who is approaching. And it's funny because it is so crisp and clear like it's you know it's 35 millimeter film that he's watching <laughs> yeah it's like they put a lot of effort into his security system someone like processed this film <laughs> little guy is standing there the whole time oh it's all hawkins hawkins is just like in yeah. the, has a little canister and is like hawkins his assistant his assistant hawkins so we meet his wife, Lisa, who helps him adjust himself and um, make himself up because the Botanical Society is holding a party in his house, in his conservatory. Yeah. And Lisa is played by Valerie Hobson, who we will come to meet in a soon-to-be episode. Oh? She takes over the role of Elizabeth in Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Yeah. So from here, we end up meeting this woman named Miss Eddie. Um, Aunt Eddie. Or Aunt, Aunt Eddie. Aunt Eddie. Miss Eddie. She is, there's a lot going on with this woman, but she is watching a fly, a fly, land in a Venus flytrap. And she seems real horrified that this fly is being eaten. But then she's also very, I put down, titillated. Yeah. <laughs> it trapped that poor dear little fly. It's going to eat that poor dear little fly. Oh, how revolting. And then the uh, Venus flytrap spits it out and says, Flies? Poor puny things. Who wants to eat fly? Not when I can get nice fat spiders. That's Dracula, sorry. I know, you're crossing the streams. (laughs) From here, we also meet a Madagascar flower that eats mice and men. And uh, it's a very interesting tentacled looking flower that everyone's watching. And uh, again, she's just horrified. This is the one that they feed it. They Uh give it a frog. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's a frog. Yeah, it's funny because in the the initial shot of this man-eating plant, you can see the strings that are holding the tentacles. And it's such a scary plant. Oh, they did so good. And you see that close up. It looks like the, um, when you watch the old Godzilla movies from the 60s, it looks like the close up of Spiga spitting his webs out. (laughs) (laughs) Like that. It's just like that, that hairy beak. Yeah. And it's, oh, oh. So this party is just setting up everyone that we're meeting. So we also meet Captain Ames, who I believe his name is Paul, correct? Paul Ames, yes. He used to date Lisa, and he's very excited to see her. And at one point in their childhood, they were engaged. That's right. So here we have the setup for our love triangle. Like Um, every movie of early Universal. You got to have it. There's a formula here. The um, And so it comes to, as a surprise to Glendon that Paul and Lisa know each other. And he seems a little upset about it and just finding out that they do know each other. So already they're setting up that little turmoil, uh, that friction. The conflict is being set up right there. I also wrote down that Eddie is an instant. Etty is an instigator because she is she's coming in with little side jabs and just being like poking and prodding the beast and man oh man this woman Etty Etty so everyone's gathered around this Madagascar flower and uh, people are horrified that this frog is being eaten alive by this giant flower there's a man that congratulates Wilfred Dr. 
Ogami. Yeah, sorry. They have an interesting exchange about meeting each other in Tibet. Well, he doesn't really remember meeting him in Tibet. Yes. But Dr. Yogami sure remembers him. Yes. Yogami ends up making a comment about where does the plant end and the animal begin in regards to these uh, carnivorous plants. It makes one wonder just where the plant world leaves off and the animal world begins. Which I thought was a very interesting thing. Um, Right off the bat, Yogami's a little weird. Yeah. He's not super weird, but he's a little bit different. And And they always talk about what an interesting looking man. Things like that. I will say that the running gag with Yogami, which really threw me off as someone who takes notes while watching a movie, is that Aunt Eddie cannot remember his name and calls him everything except for Yogami. Oh, God. So both of these men are in a similar mission and they were looking for this flower, which he calls the wolf flower. Dr. Yogami says that he was able to retrieve one, but it died. It didn't survive the journey. While Wilfred has his plant, but it won't bloom. So he's having a problem blooming it in any light. How would you ever wanted to see the flowers bud? So while these men are talking, Paul is talking to Lisa and he thinks that she's changed. And he's saying a bunch of really weird things to her that are very inappropriate and says that she has no more fight left in her and uh, that the light has gone out from her. Uh, Just a bunch of stuff like um, pretty much pointing out that her current relationship has made her into a sack of a person. And when they were together, she was living her best life. Yeah, and he wants to shine that light bright again. He does. He needs to get out of here, but all right, whatever. So Dr. Yogami goes into a really great monologue, I suppose, talking about how this flower is the cure for lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. I could have sworn that he said lycanthrophobia. Lycanthrophobia. But that's being afraid, afraid of the moonlight. Afraid of... Yeah, that might be it. They call it lycanthropy in uh, The Wolfman. No, I think he calls it lycanthrophobia. Okay. Uh, So this, I believe, is when Dr. Yogami is now going inside of the laboratory with uh, Dr. Glendon. Uh Uh-huh. And I love the shot. Glendon is in his little room and... Beyond the glass, you could see Dr. Yogami, and he starts talking to him and basically invites him in. It's this very foreboding shot of Dr. Yogami coming intensely close to the camera and London. Yes. I really like the framing of that scene. Yeah, yeah. He says that there are two cases of werewolves in London at the moment that he knows of. And he strongly implies that Wilfred has been bit and will be turning into a werewolf. Yeah, he is very strongly alluding to the fact that the two werewolves are himself and Glendon. Yes. I will tell you, though, it took me a second to realize that Yogami was the other one. Well... I mean, it is, it, it's heavily hinted at at this point. Yes. Uh, with that, and also him seeing him in Tibet and Glendon not having any sort of recollection. The person he would have seen, but not know who it was, would That's be the true. werewolf that bit him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Dr. Yogami, which right here I have Yogandi, asks <laughs> if he can... That's played by Ben Kingsley. Of course. Um, <laughs> he asks if he can visit him again. And then he leaves. So he's pretty much given himself an invite to drop in whenever he pleases. So Wolfert's testing the moonlight against another plant, which he is able to get to bloom. And as soon as he puts it over to the other flower and he's like talking about how he hasn't been able to get it to bloom, it blooms. He's real excited. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, his hand also falls under this moonlight and starts getting a little bit furry. Yeah, I got a little hair on that yeah. hand. <laughs> and as that happens, his assistant, Mr. Hawkins, walks in and immediately he sends him away. He then snips off the flower and pokes himself with the stem and witnesses that his hand pretty much cures itself or the flower cures his hand. Yeah, because this flower is the antidote for werewolfism. Yep. So Mr. Hawkins is outside talking to Mr. Plimpton, who is a butler, I believe, about the moonlight and tells him to go back to Lisa and tell her that Wilfred will not be coming out to tea. 
because she wants to spend time with him. So there's a lot of like in this movie of Lisa trying to spend time with her husband and he is so involved in his experiments that he's not paying attention to her. Again, there's a formula. Yep, very similar to Frankenstein. Uh, Yep. Even the Invisible Man. Yep. So Eddie keeps pushing Eddie. Eddie. uh, Eddie keeps pushing Paul on Lisa, which I find very interesting. Oh, forget Wilfred. Why don't you invite Paul to stay on for dinner? Yeah, this Aunt Eddie... I don't know about her. She's not a good person. (laughs) She's not a good person. There's something about her where she's like, she's very meddlesome. And I don't know. I just, there's just something about her that I don't fully understand her, the reasoning for her to be in this movie. But I guess she also offers somewhat of a comic relief. Right. But I don't know. She's, I have a lot of conflict just because she is manipulating her niece And I don't appreciate that. She's pushing Paul on Lisa. And in the end, Lisa invites Paul to stay with them. And he accepts. Soon after, Eddie's tiny dog starts going crazy. And Dr. Yogama. Yogami. Thank you. I can't see. She's looking at my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Yogami appears. I always like in especially werewolf movies when dogs have their sixth sense and freak out at the monsters. Yes. She invites him to like a party that she's going to have the next night. Yeah. And he like declines and she does not hear that decline and is like, I'll see you there and like exits. So later, Wilfred and Yogami meet. But Wilfred is busy. Yogami tells Wilfred that it's the first night of the full moon and he needs two flowers because they are the antidote to what will happen. So he warns about the werewolves killing and that they will kill whatever they love best. The werewolf instinctively seeks to kill the thing it loves best. Next, we see Wilfred in his study. And while he's in his study, he's reading and we see a pair of hands in his laboratory snipping the flowers. So this scene kind of cuts back and forth. And he's reading about affected werewolves and that they need the antidote from this flower or the werewolf will need to kill in order to get out of the werewolf state. According to this book or legend in this movie, a person that is a werewolf, if he does not have that antidote, the flower to help them, he must kill one person throughout the night of the full moon to turn back into a human yeah if he doesn't kill that person he will stay this evil creature forever he will stay wolfy so lisa and paul are going to eddie's party wilfred is not going he he wants to stay in his study and lisa turns on the light so that he can look at her coat and it really just upsets him and he tells her to turn off the light put off those lights put off those beastly lights i tell you any sort of light changing just like really hurts him and she's a little freaked out by it but she ends up taking off with Paul, but before she fully leaves, Wilfred calls her back and kisses her goodnight. He then turns off all the lights and sits down next to this cat. I was like, oh, he's going to kill this cat. Well, no, the cat looks at him and then starts getting real angry and snarls and hisses at him. Another wonderful trope of old horror pictures, the cat freaking out. <laughs> yes, I love it. This cat gets so angry, which kind of makes me mad because I'm like, well, what did they do to this cat? In real life, what did they do? (laughs) So his hands begin to change and he's transforming while walking through his property and out through his garden, which I thought this was done very well. This was done extremely well. Obviously, now you could see the effect that it's, uh, you know, projected background and all that. Yeah. But it's done so creatively. I love it so much. It's my favorite scene of the movie, I think. Like he's Wait, passing these columns. Yeah, he's and, passing columns and each reveal is a new clip. Yes. Where he has a little bit more makeup on. And they did the same exact technique in the Twilight Zone when the guy turned into the devil in the oh. episode The Howling Man. What you saw is not a man. It is the devil himself. Oh. He goes to his lab and sees that his flowers have been snipped. He thinks of Paul and Lisa and has like a little moment and he's just getting real mad. Um, so he's the werewolf now. He's the werewolf of London. Yes. And, you know, he's in his uh, little smoking jacket running around his laboratory. It's very strange because he is the werewolf and he's going to get the antidote, get the flower so he could turn back into a human. So he has 
his human mind still. Oh yeah, he has, a, he has his human consciousness, which in other films and other werewolf movies, once you get to the Wolfman, it's like a straight takeover where you cannot reason with the Wolfman. No, completely animalistic. Yeah, but he puts on a coat and a hat. Yeah, he puts on <laughs> he puts on his scarf. <laughs> and why would a werewolf need to put on a hat and a, and a scarf? Is it because he, he's going out to murder? He need a, need a he's like I don't have enough hair. I'm cold. Like, I need a little murder outfit. Put I on mean, this hat. Put on this coat. I mean, honestly, uh, <laughs> he does it to disguise himself to yeah. show, uh, which you know, it's very similar. This whole movie is very similar to Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. But you know, he's just kind of blending in. Yeah, you know, I mean, definitely, obviously, it's a disguise. Yeah. But yeah, he does retain more of his human characteristics in knowing that he needs to disguise himself which um, makes in him order seem, to go out. Which makes him seem more of a demonic creature than a werewolf, almost. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's sort of a possession more so than a clinical werewolfism. <laughs> <laughs> so at Eddie's party, Dr. Yogami arrives and meets Forsyth, who, again, there's another moment of like, I've met you before, but they can't quite place it. Eddie is talking to Dr. Yogami out on the terrace, and they hear a howling. He says that it's a lost soul. Who's there? A lost soul, perhaps. And she goes from being like somewhat afraid to just being almost maniacally laughing about what he said that it's just so absurd Mm -hmm. and it just makes her laugh uncontrollably and she says that she's nervous and frightened but she can't stop laughing so she's also very inebriated right now yes well i wasn't 100 percent sure because i don't have a baseline from her other than she meddles and well you find out from some lines later but the thing is that anything from paul this just seems to be a thing with these movies the dudes in these movies write off everything that the women are doing (laughs) as just something that isn't always 100% known. So she's acting a little goofy. He's like, she's had too much to drink. Put her to bed. (laughs) And that may not be the case. So I don't know for sure that she's had too much to drink. Because later on, we do meet some ladies I've definitely had too much to drink. Oh, yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uno Connor times two. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa ends up putting her to bed and the howling is making everyone at this party uneasy. And Yogami is uneasy because his howling is getting uh, closer and louder. Wilfred is outside of Eddie's bedroom and Lisa closes the window, kind of, I think, and leaves. Well, Wilfred opens that window and climbs in there and goes to attack her. Um, And it's kind of like a little push into her and her realizing that he's there. Mm -hmm. This alerts all of the men at the party and they all go running upstairs with Lisa, but they keep all the other women folk downstairs. So this attack scene, I'll talk more about it later because there's been lots of discussion about this scene. So Eddie's describing the creature having devil green eyes. Yeah, and this scene, you see Eddie in bed and then you see the shadow of the werewolf of London uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, on the wall as it pushes forward to attack her, mm-hmm. which is a great way to show it. Yeah. Paul instantly says that it was a dream. And Eddie says that her wickedness has caught up with her. I See, believe- she even admits that she's wicked, doing all these things to ruin the marriage. Uh, she, Yes, she knows. <laughs> she knows that she's a gossiper and a meddler. And uh, that's fine. She owns it, I guess. Kudos to you, Eddie. Um, so <laughs> from here, Forsyth and Paul go off to have a drink to celebrate. I don't know why they're ugh, they're just the worst. Anyhow, decide to have one more before hitting the road. Yeah, which is extremely responsible. So Wilfred is out on the street and hiding in the shadows. As Wilfred this, Glendon. Wilfred Glendon, and this woman is walking home, and uh, he attacks her. <laughs>
when he attacks her, yes. I always love that shot where he just has his arms kind of raised and it just runs off the camera. It's almost you know, like two kids that would be playing monsters. Oh. It like. But this scene reminds me a lot of the scene in Dracula where he kills the flower girl, just a mm-hmm. random person on yeah. the street. Mm-hmm. The next morning, it's in the paper. And Yogami is reading this and is absolutely devastated. So the maid comes in to his chamber, the chambermaid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this chambermaid comes in and sniffs the flowers, which instantly angers Yogami. And we know that ang- he has... It was already uh, angering me. How dare her touch his stuff? <laughs> like, if I had a maid and I'm sitting there working and I had like, I don't know, let's say my little werewolf of London action figure on my desk and she picks it up saying, ooh, I love action figures. I'd be like, put that down! so the police are describing finding this body to paul's uncle is what we find out he's like the commissioner he's the head of scotland yard yes they think that it can't be a wolf which i really love that it's brought up that maybe it's a wolf and it's not a wolf paul says that it might be a werewolf and the constable instantly brushes this off well it's like werewolves don't exist (laughs) there's just so much going on here though everyone's just like no you're wrong that's like a house of frankenstein one person dies on the and one person says a werewolf (laughs) like that's the conclusion (laughs) not a bear not a not a wolf So we're back with Glendon and he comes upon Lisa making plans over the telephone with Paul to go on a moonlight ride through the countryside. And he's very displeased. Lisa senses something is wrong with him as well. She's like, "Mm, something's a little off and he's just real mad. And I mean, he was just a wolf and had to kill someone for the first time. So whatever. She expresses that she wants to burn down the lab just to get her husband back and says that he's changed and is uh, very short tempered with her. And he makes a really snide comment in regards to her telling him how she feels, saying that she's found Paul to make up for all of his flaws, which, you know, kind of makes her mad too. But in the end, he agrees to go to this moonlight ride and um, he tells her that he loves her. So Wilfred from here goes um, back to his lab to have his assistant Hawkins keep an eye out because, I mean, he doesn't want anyone else to steal any more of his flowers. And and to keep an eye out on when the thing blooms. Yes. And then he goes back to talk to Lisa and he cancels his plans as he's talking with Hawkins. And then he tries to forbid Lisa from going at all. They fight about it and she says that she plans on going and she'll go the next night without him. And she really does not need his approval to go do these things. Right. And, you know, he's been giving these little remarks, these little hints of jealousy throughout the entire movie of her friendship with Paul. And you kind of feel like it comes to a point where he just has had enough. But then a few seconds later, you realize he's only really forbidding her to go because he's worried for her safety because, you know, a werewolf's afoot. Yep. Mm -hmm. So he ends up leaving and he goes to this bar looking for a room to rent. And this reminds me of the opening to The Invisible Man. (laughs) It very much is. He's looking for a room to rent and talks to the barkeep. The barkeep... If uh, only he pulled down his little scarf and said, I'd like a room and a fire. (laughs) He comes in way less aggressive than The Invisible Man did, for sure. (laughs) The barkeep ends up telling him to go to this back room to go rent from this bar patron and there are two ladies who are getting sauced at a table and eating oh this scene is so gross to me you know i thought it was funny and then the woman started eating her veil as she put like that piece of meat in there and then pulled it all out of her mouth and it's like a veil with a bunch of chewed up meat on it yeah if she if she just did the veil part you'd be like okay that's funny but the fact that we had to see all that food chewed up food on that (laughs) dissolve earlier (laughs) dissolve earlier (laughs) so one of them passes out i believe and the other one is like you can rent from me 
and as she's walking him to the room, she asks a bunch of intrusive questions if he's single. And he <laughs> says that he's singularly single and asks what she would say if he told her that werewolves were real. And she just kind of brushes this off. They're just having some real weird conversations. <laughs> and she says something like, I'd say, I was little red riding order. <laughs> yes, yeah. flirting. I don't know, but these two <laughs> ladies, they're they are fun, but they're also really annoying. Like, I find them more annoying than Una O'Connor, which a lot of people find her annoying. <laughs> I don't find her annoying at all. I, I, love her I find her very extremely <laughs> annoying. Uh, she leaves him in his room and... Well, she doesn't leave him. She's kind of talking to him and she he closes the door in her face. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My bad. From here, he ends up praying and he locks himself in his room. He asks God to keep him away from Lisa the thing that he loves the most. Father in heaven, don't let this happen to me again. Keep me away from Lisa. Keep me away from the thing I love. He's sitting at the window, and we get another really great transformation. This is a really good transformation. Well, the beginning of it's great. They used the same technique that was made famous in the 1931 version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is his makeup is revealed without a cut. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. And do you know how that effect is done? Lights. Yeah, it's basically just lights. You, uh, I think it's like a red and a blue light, maybe. I don't remember the exact color scheme. But basically, you paint someone up, their special effects makeup, the same color as the light that's on them. And then as you slowly turn one light color to another, the makeup is revealed. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I believe the same thing was in Black Sunday with Barbara Steele. Yeah, Barbara Steele. Yeah, they um, they did the same thing with their makeup in that. Yeah. I remember, I, I really like that movie, but it's been, a, it's been a while since I've seen it. We're, we're doing it on the pod. <laughs> we're doing it for the pod. Yeah, but uh, with this transformation, so you see without... Without a cut, only lighting effects, you see his long widow's peak suddenly appears. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then the camera pans down to his hands, which are hairy. And then as it comes back up, you'll see the cut. And then it's a classic wolfman type transformation with just dissolves, but it's not lined up very well, where yeah, his eyes shift very high. And, and it still is great for the time, but they really perfected it with the wolfman. Yeah. So he lets out a howl and he jumps out the window. Through, Miss- through the window, through the glass. Oh, yes. Through the window. Mrs. Moncaster, who is the renter, is alarmed. And Mrs. Whack um, <laughs> comes in to help her. And they're both sitting at the stairs. You know what Mrs. Whack's real name is? What? Ethel. <laughs> Both ladies are suspicious. And, and you they... know what Mrs. Moncaster's real name is? What? Zephy. Zephy? Zephy and Ethel. That's a great name, Zephy. Um, they're both suspicious and they go to investigate. They do have a little banter about drinking because I believe that Miss Moncaster is sitting there with a bottle. One of them goes in. One of them Mrs. goes in. Mrs. Wack goes in and like screams bloody murder. Right. And we don't know what she's looking at. The only thing it could have been would be a broken window. So yeah. why is she so scared? Just because he's disappeared? Because they're drunk off their asses. <laughs> oh, he must have been a ghost. <laughs> That's probably what she's saying. <laughs> so now we're at the zoo and we're seeing a bunch of wolves and they're very upset. Yeah, uh, in their cages. Yeah, they're in their cages and they're very, very upset. So uh, there's a drunk woman who is at the gates of the zoo and we find out that she's having an affair with the security officer who's married and there's a whole bunch of banter. So already you're kind of being set up for just like some somewhat devious people and you shouldn't be too mad if they get killed because maybe you were mad about the young woman who got murdered earlier, but now these people are kind of devious. Yeah. they deserve it, I guess. <laughs> They're making out a bunch. And uh, Wilfred ends up letting out the wolves. The security officer goes to investigate. Yeah. And leaves the young woman alone. You see Glendon kind of stalking in the background. And I kind of like this where it's like, 
if the security guard had just looked to his left, he would have seen him standing there. Yeah. But he didn't. And so you see him walking towards her and he ends up attacking her. She's powdering her nose and sees him in the mirror. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The scene, he lets one wolf go. Yes. I always liked to think it was him associating with the wolves and he felt bad for them because he's a wolf now too and he's going to let them free. He doesn't like wolves being locked up. He wants them to roam. But the truth of the matter is he really let that one free to be the one to take the blame for the killings. Hmm. Diversion. Yeah, diversion. So we're back to the old ladies getting drunk and being nosy in the stairwell. He's returned to his room and they go up the stairs and again decide to look through the keyhole and as they do they see him in werewolf form through the keyhole and it's a shot of him walking towards the door it's it's very nice but i think the shot is taken from a moment later in the movie really and used for this scene oh and they just put like a little keyhole silhouette around it yeah because later he's kind of in a a broken down spider webbed place Uh (laughs) and i think think that's the setting he's in in that shot okay not positive but i think so Hmm. so they decide after seeing this that they won't call the cops because they're drunk and they don't want the police to not believe them and basically tell them that they're incorrect so from here they vow to stop drinking i don't think that vow lasted too long in my humble opinion no yo (laughs) So Yogami goes to the police commissioner and it turns out they met seven years ago. He tells him there's a werewolf in London. So Yogami just comes out with all the facts, tells him about the flower and tells him where the flower is living currently. Forsyth, of course, brushes it off and Yogami warns them. Yeah. And the reasoning for this warning is Yogami's scared. Yeah. He doesn't want to kill. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to rely on the fact that he has to kill. He wants this flower to be his antidote. So he wants the police to buy into all this being real and wants them to harvest this plant and bring it over from Tibet and make an endless supply for him or anyone else that would be a werewolf. Yeah. That flower is the only known antidote for werewolfery. Wolford stumbles back to his lab from here. And there's one bud that won't won't bloom. It's left on the plant. Wilford has a flash of a horrible news headline. They superimpose some newspapers uh, showing some headlines of what could happen if he went through with killing all these people, him killing Lisa. Yes, yes, yes. So he leaves Hawkins. He leaves Hawkins to tend to it. Wolfer wants to be alone to think. And so from here, he goes to Monk's Rest, which is like an estate that they have out in the country, it seems like. Yeah, it kind of seems like a like a vacation uh, countryside stay that they would go to. And, yeah. and like, they, like a resort almost. But it seems like they haven't been there in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he goes there, there's a gentleman that ends up greeting him named Timothy and a dog named Beans. <laughs> That's right. And I really love how he just picks up beans by his front legs and is just talking to him. Yeah. And I feel like there's a few things that the actor did that I don't think were written for. They weren't like, make sure you're constantly touching this dog. But he like pets the dog. I don't know. I really enjoyed his interactions with this dog. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, oh, my gosh, he loves this dog. So he asked Timothy to lock him into the house. Like, Timothy's like, come over here. We'll make you food. You can stay here. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to stay in this house. Lock me in. And he wants this particular room that I guess was a room that he used to stay in with his wife years ago, maybe. It has been run down and it's covered in cobwebs and there's no bed in it anymore. But he insists this is where he wants to stay. So he asks to be locked in in there meanwhile lisa and paul are there for some reason (laughs) they're like let's reminisce at this place that we used to go to so dumb i said lisa and paul are there for some ridiculous reason and paul of course tells her that he loves her leah i love you so much always have always will and she rebuffs it she's just like come on and wilfred is sound asleep at the same time and during his sleep awakens and um he transforms actually in his sleep and then he wakes up 
Yeah, this is another good transformation. I'm pretty sure this was a like a wax figure of him or a dummy. Oh, really? It looks like it at least. I have to watch I'm, it again. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's it's very still. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to move at all. Yeah, it's it's done well. Paul is trying to convince Lisa that she loves him, and he's just trying to get her to leave Wilfred. Meanwhile, Wilfred Werewolf Glendon um, <laughs> sees them. Kind of like to change the subject, I guess. Lisa just takes off running in a like tag situation just to kind of break yeah. the tension and just kind of get him to stop what well, he's doing. You know, Lisa and Paul were friends since childhood and they're reliving their moments of playing tag and hide and seek. So they're playing and Werewolf Glendon sees this and he breaks out of his room and attacks Lisa. A great close-up and scream of Valerie Hobson. (coughs) Paul tries to rescue her and hits Glendon. Paul thinks that it is Glendon. He says that there's something grotesquely familiar about this werewolf. There was something grotesquely familiar about it that it suddenly struck me. It was Wilfred Glendon. So Lisa ends up going back home and uh, they've locked all the doors and all the windows. And so she's locked in the house because this always happens. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And there is news that at the Bedlington Hotel, the chambermaid was killed by a guest. The room that she was found in is a room that was occupied by Dr. Yogami. Dr. Yogami. As they go to investigate the scene of the crime, they find plants in the trash can. So these are the two plants and they are dead, which means that they've been used. No one can find Yogami or Wilfred. There's a really great montage of these telephone calls of people keeping an eye out and just disseminating information to each other. They do a similar thing in The Invisible Man of a montage of phone calls, but this one is done a little bit better in more of a montage way. So meanwhile, Glendon is back home. He's hiding out in his laboratory with Hawkins, and Hawkins informs him that the flower that he's been watching has just bloomed. Yogami shows up and swipes the flower, and they fight. Yogami reveals that he's the one who bit him in Tibet, and they get into a little brawl. Yeah, and you'll notice that Yogami gets this big scratch on his face, Mm -hmm. and there's a shot that's in the trailer that's not in the movie. It's a great shot where during this scene, you see the werewolf of London using his claws to swipe his face and make that gash appear on his face. It's a great shot. It's not in the movie, though. Oh, that's weird. In this fight, he kills Yogami. That's what we're led to believe. I mean, uh, we assume he's dead. There's no sort of ruling in this about how to kill a werewolf. Yes. Uh, Silver doesn't play a part in this. Mm Mm-hmm. So I assume just another werewolf can maul another werewolf. Yeah, I don't think that like there's much werewolf lore that's being set up here other than the moonlight. Yeah. Because we've talked about how he has a lot of his human characteristics Mm -hmm. and all of that. So after the rundown, we'll talk a little bit about werewolf lore in movies. So werewolf, Wilfred. Werewolf Glendon. Wilfred of London. Uh, the Wilfred of London goes to the house and he uh, goes up to Lisa and Eddie, but they run off. So Paul is there also and he attacks him in the back of the house. So they're outside. So it's like, it's weird because he goes from different places in the house as he's trying to break into the house and it's successful, but then ends up leaving the house, gets into a fight with Paul. He attacks him. He breaks back into the house, um, which I actually like this one because you see his silhouette outside of the door. Uh-huh. And then he like breaks the window to get in, to unlock the door to get in yeah. um, to attack Lisa. This is a great moment, but there's something very stagey about it, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Lisa tries to reason with him as the police arrive, but he's not he's going to kill her like yeah she's climbing the stairs and he's slowly following her about mm-hmm. to pounce yes colonel forsyth arrives into the house and shoots him and he falls down he falls down dying basically yeah and then the werewolf starts to talk he does and this line here is my favorite line in the entire movie he says thanks for the bullet 
It was the only way. I have always loved that line. I've always loved this scene. This is my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. I love it. And I always said to myself, knock on wood, if somehow I'm in a situation where I get shot and I'm dying. Absolutely not. I'm going to say, no matter what the reason, thanks for the bullet. It was the only way. (laughs) No, you're not going to say that. Well, I always imagined I would. It's just me screaming, no, he doesn't mean it. (laughs) Because then you'll end up like, it'll end up on the news and it's like, man, thanks other man for shooting him. (laughs) And then it's like, wife says, no, he was just quoting a movie. (laughs) (laughs) So he apologizes to Lisa about how crappy of a husband he's been. And what's interesting also is that this is done in a close-up at the bottom of the stairs, but he's upside down. Yes. The camera doesn't move around so we could see him right side up. No. The camera stays as if we're watching, you know, a, a multi-cam sitcom. Um, a whole conversation upside down. I suppose. Um, <laughs> and then I put down that he dies one of the worst deaths that I've seen because he does have this, these words and then he, you said he was holding on for dear life life and then he just goes "Ah." yeah i think it's pretty good he's holding on and he's giving everything oh it's coming Ah." it's not a way to die that's a way to poop that is not a way to die (laughs) (laughs) so as he's dying he dies he turns back into himself. Yeah, which it's another weird shot. You know, this is this is also very reminiscent of the Invisible Man, where mm. he doesn't look like himself when he turns back into him. I think they, for some reason, they use all this beauty makeup. He almost looks like a dummy again. I guess. It doesn't He's look, just very flawless and rested. Yeah, it just doesn't look like him. Like in The yeah. Invisible Man, remember how we were saying, like, it doesn't... His hair was so nice. Yeah, it's not how you would imagine <laughs> The Invisible Man looking. No, he's an itty-bitty man also. <laughs> I didn't have a frame of reference, though, before that. Yeah, but... Yeah, he just looks different than he does throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. So Forsyth says that in his official report, he'll say that he accidentally shot Glendon as he was trying to protect his wife, Lisa. And then we get a shot of an airplane. An airplane going where? I don't know. But then it dissolves into the Universal Biplane logo. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Well, I I like to think that that the director was like, you know what? I want to explain that airplane that's around that Universal logo. Let's just show a random airplane flying and then that'll be the one that goes around it. But I think they make, you know, they allude earlier that he is a pilot or a captain. Paul Ames is. Oh, so that's them flying off? So I think that's them flying off. That's bizarre. I think. I don't, whatever. It's bad. This movie ends. The end. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, that's a weird ending. They should have just <laughs> ended it on thanks for the bullet. It was the only way. <laughs> yeah, they really should have. Like, I mean, actually, I like Forsyth saying yeah. that he's going to, you know, they're covering up for him. Yep. Because they realize that he's a victim of his circumstances. He wasn't entirely horrible human being and that should have been it there didn't need to be a plane then we get the cast list with my favorite saying a good cast is worth repeating which you did not feel like it was no not worth at repeating. all no i did not at all <laughs> so this did, cast isn't bad but i was just like no i think i was just so mad about the plane well how did you feel about the movie overall um overall it's okay it's not my favorite would i recommend it no I But it wasn't bad. I agree with you. It's not one of my favorite Universal Monster movies. It's not one that I watched a lot growing up. I always loved the look of the Werewolf of London. Mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with that. He looks great. Oh, I think he looks like Eddie Munster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looks a little like Eddie Munster. I mean, or, he looks uh, like Eddie Munster and who else did I say? He looks like a really cool monster. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always liked the way he looked. And a big part of that is because of things like Famous Monsters. He's on a lot of covers of Famous Monsters. And he was always around on all the uh, yeah the merchandise. I'm surprised that he doesn't get more. You don't hear more about him. He well, isn't as mainstream as the Wolfman. Exactly. That's because the Wolfman, it became the popular one. Yeah. When this movie came out, it didn't do that well. And that's why they ended up not continuing with sequels. They just made a new werewolf movie. Gotcha. They oh they rebooted it. 
Sort of. I mean, it's a completely different story, but we're not going to do another Werewolf of London. We want our own American werewolf. Yeah. I mean, this has a lot of the same parallels to other movies that we watched where they go to a foreign country because that's in some perilous journey because it's the only place where they can find this one thing that they need. And And, I mean, and we don't really have an explanation for him looking for the flower, though. Well, just that he's a botanist. Yeah. And he wants to find these rare things. That's true. But I think another reason it didn't do well, it was so comparable to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where that's one of the best movies ever made. You know, Frederick March won Best Actor for that. And it just kind of seemed like a cheap copy of it, maybe. Mm, Okay. So it didn't do that well. But uh, why don't we talk a little about the making of and some facts? I have a few facts. Yes, please. Let's... All right, so Werewolf of London, 1935. As I said before, this is the first mainstream werewolf movie to ever be made, predating The Wolfman by uh, six years. So this came out in 1935. 1935 is right at the height of Boris Karloff's fame of being a horror star. Mm -hmm. So naturally, he was the favorite to get the role of Dr. Glendon. Mm-hmm. It ended up not happening for whatever reason. I mean, at this pretty much at the same time they were filming Bride of Frankenstein too. But how would you feel if Boris Karloff was the werewolf? I would assume that the makeup would have been different. I don't think that would have been appropriate. For some Boris, reason, I can't see Boris Karloff running around like a werewolf. I was about to say that. I might he's not very spry in yeah. my mind's eye. I feel like he's more deliberate and methodical and calculating more than being spry and pouncy and stalking like that right which is is funny the the only role i could think of offhand where he was kind of a spry character was when he played the mummy (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) when when he played uh dr jekyll and mr hyde in abbott and costello meet dr jekyll and mr hyde Hmm. the funny thing about that though is once he does the transformation it's a stunt guy playing Mr. Hyde throughout the whole movie. So it never really is Boris Karloff running around. <laughs> Besides Boris Karloff, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Dr. Yogami could have easily been Bela Lugosi. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Anyone could easily see that being Bela Lugosi. And even though Warner Oland, who played Dr. Yogami, he was great. He's probably the best actor of the movie, I'd say. Do you think that Otho is somewhat, from Beetlejuice, is somewhat based off of him? <laughs> I mean, it kind of, kind of looks like him, I guess. I mean, it's a very, Otho has a very Yogami-ish <laughs> like, quality to him. If only Yogami walked around with a spray paint can going blue-green. <laughs> <laughs> blue-green. Hydrated chromic oxide. So yeah, uh, they wanted Bela Lugosi to play the part of Dr. Yogami, but he was busy filming Mark of the Vampire, which is uh, another movie I really enjoy. So the movie could have been a lot different if it was Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, which they did several Universal movies together, and this just would have been in their catalog. But I, I, I feel like if it was a Bela Lugosi-Boris Karloff movie, maybe it wouldn't be as remembered. For some reason, I just feel that way. So I was talking a little earlier about the different myths and mythology that were in this movie that I was going to elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh Uh-huh. On the lycanthobia? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lycanthropy. Sure. (laughs) So apparently the idea of being bit by a werewolf Mm -hmm. and becoming a werewolf yourself Mm -hmm. and the whole idea with the moon being involved was invented for this movie. Oh, which lots of people think that that was old lore from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in in books and stories before this, it was done with witchcraft and magic, magical powers, uh, becoming a werewolf. It was usually someone putting a spell on someone else. And lots of the myths that we know of werewolves was also invented by the wolfman, too. Uh, Like the whole thing with silver being the only way to kill a werewolf that was invented by the wolfman so i really like how this and the wolfman has become so popular that people believe that what 
universal created with these movies has become so ingrained in society Mm -hmm. that people think it that's how it was throughout the whole history yeah i totally did i had no idea that it was invented for these movies so did you like the howl yes that howl (laughs) do you know how they did that uh, I assume it's a person going, oh. <laughs> it's actually a real timber wolf and Henry Hull's voice mixed together. Ooh. Yeah. That's awesome. Henry Hull is uh, the werewolf. Yeah, yeah, I know, because you talked about him in that <laughs> living room. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Henry Hall played Glendon. Warner Olin played Dr. Yagami. He was most famous for playing Charlie Chan. He was a Chinese detective, a, a detective series of the 30s, kind of like a Dick Tracy or something like that. Valerie Hobson played Lisa. Again, we'll see her again in Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And she was 17 years old during the making of this movie. Are you kidding me? No. She does not look 17. She does not. She looks a lot older than that. And she's very tall. Yeah. And, you know, she plays the love interest of Glendon. You know, they kiss a few times and... Henry Hall was 27 years older than her. I thought you were going to say, you were saying that he's 27. And I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what was in the water in the 30s? Because these people all look so much older. But no, he's 37 years older than her? 27 27 years older than her. Jeez Louise. Lester Matthews plays Paul Ames and Spring Byington plays Aunt Eddie. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Spring. Another interesting person in the movie is Hawkins. Hawkins is played by J.M. Kerrigan. And he went on to play Gwen Cunliffe's father in The Wolfman. Mm. So, you know, I've talked a lot how I love the makeup of this movie, how uh-huh. he looks. This wasn't the initial makeup for the movie. In fact, there's some photos out there of the initial makeup, and it very closely resembled what they used in The Wolfman. Oh, so like more more of a hairier face? Yeah, and more dog-like, I guess. Okay. Jack Pierce did the makeup for this and for The Wolfman, so he did this makeup, and it was changed eventually there's been a lot of rumors as to why the makeup changed one rumor has always been that henry hall didn't care for wearing makeup and didn't want his face hidden Mm -hmm. he was vain about it that's been kind of proven to be untrue oh another rumor was that producers thought the initial makeup was too scary and that censors wouldn't let it pass with a makeup that horrific so they made them change it there was no rating back then Right. There weren't ratings, but there was a censor board that it had to get passed by. Okay. But according to Henry Hull's great nephew, the makeup was changed at Henry Hull's suggestion because he went to Carl Lemley, who ran the studio, and explained that in the script, there is a point where these characters have to recognize Glendon, which they do in the movie. Yes. So he felt... Grotesquely familiar. Right. And he felt with this makeup the one that looks more like the Wolfman, it would be too hard for them to recognize Glendon. Yeah, that's a good point. Jack Pierce, I think, was annoyed with this makeup change, especially because they thought about changing the makeup after the movie had started, it seems to be. Mm. And I told you during that that attack scene of Aunt Eddie, there's been lots of talk Mm -hmm. about something. What the talk is, is that shadow on the wall. If you look at the shadow, it's a different makeup than what the werewolf London is. The, so the shadow's profile would be different, is what you're trying to say? The profile's different, and if you notice the shadow, as it's approaching Aunt Eddie, he has long ears on top of his head, which wasn't in the initial makeup mm-hmm. either. So there's kind of a lot of back and forth as to what that shadow is. Was it the original makeup? There is a point where that original makeup, when he turns, it looks a lot like the shadow a profile of the wolfman which is basically the same makeup. Mm -hmm. But then again, there's those ears that gets you thrown off. And then some people theorize that that wasn't even a Henry Hall. It was probably just some stage guy that they gave a couple of ears to and said, you know, just you just need to look demonic. So there's lots of questions as to when the makeup change happened and to what we actually see with this shadow. Interesting. Yeah, it's fun to think about. Yeah. There's also some other hints to show that the makeup was changed throughout the production and that that scene with the shadow was earlier on. Because if you remember, there's this great shot when that scene begins where you see the werewolf's hands kind of climbing up on a railing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
if you look closely, that's the same railing as his own house at the end of the movie and not the railing that was on Aunt Eddie's house. So they took that shot from the end of the movie. And then the close-up of him, if you look closely at the location, you could see it's not Aunt Eddie's room. It's footage taken from another scene. So they, so there's people that are theorizing that this scene was built with footage shot for other scenes. Because okay, they had so because they, they like, had to they had to cut around the old makeup. Yes, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. There's no proof of this. This is all theory, but it's interesting. <laughs> People have really gone through this movie frame by frame, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, as I told you, it didn't do that well at the box office. There never was a sequel. Eventually we get the Wolfman in nineteen forty one, where Jack Pierce was finally able to use his initial makeup design for the werewolf and Which is so good. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I love the Wolfman. The Wolfman became behind Frankenstein probably the most popular universal monster. I mean he was the monster of the 1940s. You just want to boop him on his little nose. Yeah. Boop, and, it, boop, boop. and it all started with his forefather, the werewolf of London. <laughs> and that's that. Oh, I did want to say that the movie did inspire that wonderful song called Werewolves of London. Remember that song? Werewolves of London. Isn't that also like the hometown buffet song or something? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> Without Werewolf of London, we would not have that great song, and we would not have delicious dinners at Hometown Buffet. We don't go to buffets. Buffets are disgusting. (laughs) So where can the kids find us, Cynthia? Oh, you can find us at podsandmonsters.com. You can also find us on Instagram at podsandmonsterspodcast. Again, Pods and Monsters podcast. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Pods and Monsters. We just updated our watch list. Yeah, our coming our- attractions list. Yes. Of uh, So we have our episodes planned out throughout the rest of the year. Yes. Um, we'll be taking the last Tuesday off of the year, which is New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. But we have everything else set up or planned out. Um, We've got some really good stuff in there, and uh, we did get a few more suggestions as of late, and we're gonna, in a few weeks, we'll start planning out the next year. So if you don't see what you want, let us know, and we'll see when we can fit it in. But yeah, so that's where you can find us, and you can also email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. So, for Pods and Monsters, my name is Robert. I'm Inthea. Oh, <laughs> yes, thank you for listening. And- oh, ah! Thanks for the blood. It was the only way. That actually scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, my darling.